Welcome back to the Afros and Knives podcast, the interview series featuring Black women working and leading in food and beverage, food media, food science, food justice, and hospitality. I am your host, Tiffany Rozier, and this week's conversation is with Eating Fabulously's Christopher Stewart. Chris is a classically trained chef, influencer, and tastemaker. She is the founder of the Mies Group, a chef and restaurant management group specializing in helping small culinary brands and businesses get everything into its proper place. Be sure to subscribe to the Eating Fabulously blog and check out what Chris is doing with the Mies Group. If you've started to make your gift list, be sure to add cookbooks to the mix. They are the gifts that keep on giving. The uh, 10 Speed Press has released some amazing titles this year, one of a few saving graces of 2020. Um, Vegetable Kingdom by Bryant Terry that comes complete with a tool and pantry guide and a dope soundtrack that is also available on Spotify. Uh, in BB's Kitchen by Hawa Hassan and Julie Tertian. This cookbook goes beyond just incredible recipes. It captures the love and warmth of an, a grandmother's love, and it honors the rich culinary contributions of women living in the eight African countries that touch the Indian Ocean. And Jubilee by Tony Tipton Martin, a celebration of the unsung masters of American cooking and a collection of recipes from two centuries of African-American cooking. This season of the Afros and Knives podcast is sponsored by 10 Speed Press and is made possible through the generous contributions of our Patreon community. Visit patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives to become a patron of the show. I am currently in the middle of raising funds for season four of the Afros and Knives podcast. Thanks to Talenti and Black Food folks for their generosity in awarding the show a $5,000 grant, which brings me to 50% of the goal. Actually, we're at 56%. At this point, we finally crossed over the $6,000 mark. So we are actually less than half um, that we have to get uh, raised and funded um, to make a pledge and become a backer, you can visit the Afros and Ives website, or you can make a donation directly through Venmo, PayPal, or our fundraising site at gogetfunding.com backslash Afros and Ives. If you enjoy listening to the podcast as much as I enjoy making it, you can download, subscribe, and leave a comment. I love to hear your feedback. So don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter so you can stay up to date on new guests, and other Afros and Knives news. And now let's get into this interview with Chris. Hi all, my name is Christopher Stewart. I am a classically trained chef and a food and lifestyle influencer here in New York City. Um, I have a food and lifestyle website appropriately titled Eating Fabulously. Um, on my website, I talk about restaurants, my lifestyle finds, and I also make recipes with 15 ingredients or less. They are all seasonal, and I try to get you in and out of the kitchen in under an hour. I am now focusing on my biggest project, which is the Me Group, my own chef and restaurant management company that I am that I have launched, and I. I'm working on it right now, and thank you for having me. 
we can start from the start start from the end and work our way back. So let's talk about this talk about this means group um, <laughs> because of course the moment we are currently in with the restaurant industry overall does not mean I, I keep telling people it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't um, there aren't opportunities. Uh, for growth and for new things. And so at this point, why, how are you, how is the, how is the launch working right now? Why, why time your launch for right for this moment? Like what did you see happening in the market that was like, you know what, this still is going to work because I know what I'm, because, because of what you were looking at and not necessarily this whole uh, like, oh, restaurants are going to close and the industry suffering. And I was just like, yeah, at the same time, in, in every tragedy, there's always a small window of opportunity for like greatness. So, um, so, so explain your, talk to me about your thinking behind like, let's launch, you know, let's launch this and let's get it going. Like what's your, how are your clients doing and that kind of thing? So actually just to backtrack, I have been working on the news group pretty much my entire restaurant career. I just wasn't aware of it. So every restaurant job that I've had, um, I've always been like a fixer. So I would start with one task and then I'd complete that. And then the higher ups would be like, you know what? I need to do this. I need you to do that. And then I just always fix something. So I've been working on a news group unknowingly for a really long time. But the Mies Group is a chef and restaurant management company that I came up with because I noticed that, you know, no no matter how many people you have on staff, no matter how full the restaurant is, something is always missing. Something always goes undone. No matter how good your team is, something is always not finished. So I just took that window and said, you know what? I want to help fix that window. I want to help fill that void. So I just started looking at things like, okay, the menu on the website and the menu that's printed on the table sometimes are not the same. How can I fix that? You know, um, chefs are always busy and they never have business cards. They never have things that they need when they're out. How can I fix that? And it's been a slow build. Like this project of mine, I wanted it to be my complete job. So I've been taking my time on it and then coronavirus happened and I got laid off from a hospitality group where I had my hands in 12 restaurants at that time and I was about to have 16 restaurants and then coronavirus happened and I was like, you know what? This is my time to start fully listening to these groups. Restaurants are going to need major help. And I now is the time for me to just jump and start helping. And that's what happened. I mean, one restaurant called me within a month and was like, we have been closed for four months. We're trying to revamp and we need you. And it just took off from there. I have three clients in total. One is a full restaurant. One is a late night um, comedy sketch show, and another client is a restaurant consultant. So it really all falls. It fell into place right as coronavirus is happening, which is totally weird because it's like you hear all the time business 
can say I started in tragedy. I started in a recession. I started my company in hardship. And that's what I feel like I am accomplishing right now. See, that's good. That's good. It's, it's, you know, it's incredible that like as things have kind of dialed down uh, for other in other spaces, like being ready this whole time, like since you've been working on it for so long, it was like, OK, no, but I'm ready. Like it, you know, th- this particular this particular chapter might be closed, but you, it was like, OK, but the opportunity for me to pivot and me make this my full time work has, you know, has shown itself. So just to have enough um confidence to just go okay well let's just do this let's just walk on into it it's the right season I'm already prepared I have what I need I know I I know what I need to know I've already I the work is already proven I'm already proven to do it um so so why not now how how have your your current clients been doing I know like for them it's been a pivot for you you know managing like shifts and changes is is what you do so for them I know uh you know a lot of people have asked have reached out and asked me about I just you know I just need information about like how do we pivot this restaurant how do we go from like dine-in to take out so what's been your what's been kind of your advice to this new client to help them start to weather the, the storm a bit? So I don't think any restaurant will ever be ready for something that is currently happening. You know, I and my chef friends, we literally watched our prize industry crumble within 72 hours, right? And at first, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I think it took me maybe like, three weeks to fully wrap my mind around the restaurant industry that I love so much that I have been in for 12 years that I like sleep, eat, breathe has crashed. So once I got that fog off of my, you know, head, I was like, okay, one, I need to take a step back because we're going to need a lot of hospitality. Like we're going to need fine-tuned touches when these restaurants get back up and running. So I went back to this book, Setting the Table by Restaurantor Danny Meyer. And I think everyone in the restaurant world has probably read this book at some point in life. And I was like, okay, I need to go back to hospitality. That was one thing I did. The second thing I did was I listened to every chef conference, every restaurant conference, every restaurant Zoom that I could in a month's time. Like, I need to see what people are doing. I need to see how people are handling this. So I was on a Zoom every day for a month with just restaurant chefs across the country trying to figure it out. And then the third thing I did was I, once I calmed down and got all those notes, I was like, okay. It doesn't seem like this is going to get any better. So how can we handle this? So with my restaurant client that I have now, um, I made a really big, big, big fuss about plating the food in takeout containers the way you would plate it on a plate. Um, we are in a time of only takeout, and I think we will be in that space for a really long time. And the price of food has also gone up. So not only is it that we can't sit down and have that full sensory hospitality experience that we love, 
we have to find a way to bring that to you. So my main thing was plate the food in this takeout box the way you would take it, the way you would plate it on a plate. That just adds that one step, that extra touch to a takeout box. And then mm. restaurants are really heavy and I'm not doing this. And I've seen the world British chef backs up and say, well, I said I wasn't going to do that, but now I have to do that. So it's just I'm trying to build a robust takeout menu. You know, chef, when we create our menus, we don't create them to go. We create them to sit at a table and you have time. And you hone all these flavors and all these things like that. We can't have that right now. So I, I made a menu for the restaurant that can be taken out, that can travel, that can last in a warm, moist takeout box, which a lot of people don't think about. Um, and literally, the laws here change every day. So it's just keeping up with the laws not being flustered when the time changes or not being flustered when, you know, the price of food rises. It's just trying to find a way to work through this as best as we can and still provide the hospitality. So it's extra branding, it's extra, you know, incentives to come in to the restaurant with us, which is all those things that we have to try to work for to bring back our customer and to trust. Like they have to trust us as much as we have to trust them. So it's been quite the experience my first time out the gate. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's just so much, it's, it's so much to consider and think about. And I, I appreciate yeah. the fact that like you went back to hospitality. Yeah. Like literally it was a no brainer. I was like, I have to go back to square one. What makes, a restaurant good, what makes people want to come to a restaurant and what will make people want to come to a restaurant even though they are terrified. So I really had to go back and start from square one. Mm, that's a that's such a that's like the paramount question. Like what makes people want to come back even when they are terrified? Um, you know, it's some some in some in greater some some because of their imaginations, other people because they know how to read. But um for, to talk about your like yeah, those that hospi- those those hospitality thoughts. Um, I mean, did you have you spent any time like working in restaurant or not restaurants, um, ho- uh, hotels, and and like that kind of scenario? Or when did the kind of that hospitality conversation enter your, your like your career space? Because not not everyone I know, especially like food people that I know, really think about the experience from a hospitality point of view. It's just like, okay, let's get these plates in front of people. Let's make sure they eat and they have a nice meal. Um, and, you know, servers don't drop anything and things are hot. So they, they cover the basics, but hospitality is such a different vibe. And like, I've split my time. Hospitality is a range. It's wide. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. And like, I've spent time working in hotels and I've spent time working in restaurants. And like, I have to, I always tell people, I'm like, my experience working in like luxury properties has influenced my work as a chef, like all, like all for years now, because it's just a different level. It's a different mindset, a different level of service. Um, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I, my grandfather was a chef. So 
I got all of this from him. But my last all of the time is that he actually was a chef in hotels. Like his thing was hotels. Whereas my thing as I grew up and I was trying to find what type of chef I wanted to be, my thing was restaurants. Like I like that high volume, constant changing, think on your feet pressure of being in a restaurant where he was like a hotel chef he had like banquets and catering and all that stuff but from a very young age like he instilled in me hospitality so any hotel that he worked at we ate in we stayed in we lived in at one point and I got to see firsthand how he was handling his staff and handling his you know his kitchen, I don't think I've ever heard him yell at anyone, whether that be myself or his staff. Um, also, the women in my family are in fashion and, and retail. And believe it or not, that's also a form of hospitality and customer service. So I get to see my mom and my grandmother deal with their clients on a certain level as well. So I kind of have always seen a certain level of hospitality that I knew I wanted to provide once I got in the restaurant. And I just always carry that with me. Like how, like when I'm out in a restaurant, how do I want to be treated? How do I want to be treated when I'm in a hotel? You know, so I take that with me and I try to translate that when I'm working and hospitality, like you cannot have a, a, ego when you work in hospitality so I do pride myself on removing that side and trying to focus on what the guest is actually talking about so that all comes into play when I'm at work well I appreciate it because it definitely (laughs) definitely you can always tell when when that when someone's kind of leading with that part of their brain and when they're not in a place because you're just like ooh, okay this is not any time I don't want to spend any more time in here um now, to that point, I do follow you on Twitter. And um, oh, no, 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 you're out here doing the Lord's work on Twitter. Don't you worry about it. And <laughs> because you are, and I tell people, I'm like, no, I'd love people who have like a clarity of thought, who have, you know, who understand exactly their worldview and they kind of, and they stand by um, what they see and how they see it and, and who are able to express it. And that's exactly what I get from you on Twitter. It's like, no, she knows her own mind and she knows exactly what she's yeah. saying. And, you know, you, it's, 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 it's like, look, if you didn't want, if you didn't want to hear about that, you shouldn't have showed up here. So it's all right. <laughs> um, so I, I love Twitter. I it's really like do. yes, this I'm, I don't have to have no conversations with you about this. I'm going to let you know in 160 characters exactly where my mind is, and then we go move on. Uh, yes. but, to, but because yes. you're so skilled at that, because you're so yeah, because I find like I said, your opinions are so concise and um, on the nose. I was like, you know what? What would I want to? What? How do I want to structure this conversation? And I was like, you know what? This <laughs> has some opinions about some things, and that's what I need to know. I need to understand her mind about a couple of things. So, I love that my ranting on Twitter changed the structure of our. I was like, I need to, I'm like, I need to be respectful about this because you know what? Not everybody is out here using Twitter like this, and and the people who do like you and I think Davida and I was just a handful of women who are like, nah, mm-hmm. what you're not going to do is come on this Twitter and and not get your mind right. Mm-hmm. So. 
for looking the way you're seeing things right now in the restaurant space and like because you have you of course of course you're working with very specific clients with very specific problems you're solving but overall like what you saw before covid and what the possibilities mm-hmm. could be so like in your opinion what was kind of the the top 3 things that we were absolutely getting wrong and what we should be working on getting right on the other side of this. And this can be all restaurants. It can be black owned restaurants. It can be any of that. But like, I know I was like somewhere in the back of her mind. I know she was like, see, if y'all had done this right the first time, we wouldn't be having these conversations right now. So you can limit it to three, but it was just like, what, what, what were we getting wrong before? And what do we have the opportunity to get right? Once we can go back to, once we get back into, um, just doing business though, you know, within dining? Um, I think my number one of what we were getting wrong in the restaurants prior to COVID was not trying new things, which as we see COVID has forced us to try new things and try them quickly. Um, so typically restaurants have like their own structure, it's fast-paced, it's that, like all restaurants are pretty much set up the same structure wise, unless there's that one restaurant who kind of is like, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. But um, COVID really highlighted, in my opinion, that restaurants can be flexible. We were just choosing not to be because we were running off of something that was working. Um, so, like I said prior, you know restaurants had to go boxes in house if you didn't finish your meal but they weren't creating menus around food that can be taken out um restaurants have the capacity to sell at home kits as we see have the capacity to turn their extra space into fun um fun um, grocer type situation. So I think our number one problem was no one was really thinking out of the box in terms of making extra income. Um, which now I believe that will be a huge thing in the long run is let's keep our side, you know, grocery store. Let's keep our takeout drinks if the law allows it. Um, that's number one. Number two, I felt like we all just kind of like lost our sternness with the customer. You know, I'm one of those people that know for a fact the customer is not always right, but we need the customer's dollars. So I found that I find that it's always that tug between keeping our restaurant standards intact and also being flexible with the customer. Um, so I think now we need to go back to those firms standards and know that sometimes a customer will ruin your business like you've been to customers enough they will close you down because you did not stand firm on what you're trying to achieve and then the third thing i think that we will see change is how restaurants treat their staff i mean myself included i was laid off i've had chef friends who lost all their clients i have restaurant friends who like completely the bottom fell out 
But now moving forward, I think restaurants will treat their employees a little bit differently, a little bit nicer, with a little bit more care. So what I'm hearing is that (laughs) restaurants were missing a a huge hospitality component. Uh, (laughs) And it's funny because you think you go to a restaurant and you have hospitality, but when you really examine what hospitality is, I think some restaurants have started to drop the ball on that. There's a lot of restaurants that do great, but lack hospitality. And then there's a lot of restaurants who have great hospitality and then lack other ways. So I think it's just a overall. This is true. This is true. I know that working in a hotel, like the big thing was always creating a guest experience that was like 360 degrees. And so you have like concierge on, on, uh, on hand because like whatever that person needs or requests, like it is your, it's our job. It's our, it's our privilege to make something happen, create something, find something. And like some of the best hotel experiences people have is when they walk in and they somebody remembers their name and what room they stayed in last time. And that they like dinner at a certain time and they prefer this particular table and all of those little details. And I think you're absolutely right. If restaurants can figure, can, can go ahead and like, we, we were, you were right. You were so close to doing it. It was something we absolutely were capable of doing is learning how to stay flexible and agile and not like committed to, I mean, honestly committed to a system and a business model that didn't work and has never really worked. Restaurants are one of the yeah. only businesses I know that that get a pass on being profitable. Like people will look at a restaurant and think it's normal for them to be like hanging on by a thread. Because if it was any other business, you would be like, why are you guys still open? Why haven't you gone bankrupt yet? Why would you even, why would people continue to invest dollars into what you're doing when you can't seem to keep, you when you're barely keeping it together? And restaurants really got a pass. Yeah, and it's funny. I tell people all the time, your favorite two-star, three-star restaurants internally are hanging on by a thread. (laughs) They're day by day, there's a threat of them closing their doors and they just have to make it to the end of the night. But to go back to what you were saying is that um, restaurants, I think think restaurants, have lost the art of like capturing the customer. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a reservationist for a long time. Once I stopped cooking and to be a reservationist, you have to know your customer. You have to know what customer is walking in at what time. You have to know their birthday. You have to know their wine choice. You have to know where they want to sit. And I think that restaurants are so busy that they kind of lost that art of trying to learn their customer, um, which I think will come back now that things have changed drastically. I'm sitting here on mute, just chatting it up. <laughs> I'm going to be all right. I was like, what is happening right now? Uh, <laughs> Okay, Tiff, you cool, you cool. Um, that's what editing is for. Uh, what I was, what I was saying was like the relationship between like diners and and restaurants, and the fact that I think for a while we, you know, we found that we were like restaurants were taking it for granted that people would just show up to eat, and that they could really just kind of get by on like the bare minimum. Okay, the place is clean. No, <laughs> everyone's showered today. No one's rude. Most of the order, most of the orders have gone out, you know, on time and they're hot and they're correct. 
and that's all people required. And for me, I was always like, but is that all you require? Like, is for me, you're, you're the one creating the experience. And while restaurants aren't solely about the food, you want to make sure that everything points back to it. And so, you know, like I used to tell my sister, I'm like, we would go in a place and if the service is terrible, you don't even think about the food. Exactly. It doesn't matter, it doesn't even matter if it's immaculate and delicious and fantastic and the in the back of house has been working its butt off. Like that that front of house, like, you know, hey, this did not work out. Um so, you know, and at the same time, like you could have this, this gorgeous front of house experience where everything looks amazing and everyone sounds amazing and is, um, you know, all, the, your wait staff is just on point and, and doing all, doing their, their hardest, uh, doing their best work. And, you know, the food falls short of that experience, even if the food isn't bad, it just falls short of the level of service. And like the, you know, the one thing we, what, there's a, the property I, um, I opened in Arizona, the one thing we did for like pre-opening was figure out how to make sure that everyone was working together at the same levels. And that, you know, like if you came in to the, the main drive and the valet grabbed your car, the experience started there. And so when you came in and the bellman got your, your luggage and then they brought you to the front desk and then, you know, we would get you checked in for guest services. Like all each, each moment just built on and added on. Like there was no point where like the energy fell or, oh, you know, everything was great. But then I got to my room and this happened. So there was never, we always we're looking for like a thread or a standard that everybody held no matter what job and i tell people that all the time i i like to call it like the five points of like four to five points of when you go out like it really starts number one is when the customer thinks about you and then they head to your website look at the menu or they head to your Instagram. So it literally starts when a customer thinks that they want to join you. And then it's, okay, I want to, how do I contact them? Do I want to make a reservation or do I want to call the restaurant? So then they make a reservation. Was the reservation seamless? Was it easy? Could they get the time that they wanted? Or if they chose the call, did the reservationist know exact pinpoint to act? Did they it's like it's it, it's a whole process. Mm-hmm. Then by the time they get to the restaurant, that's number three. By the time the customer puts their hand on the handle to walk in your restaurant, they've already had two prior notions with you. So now they're here, they arrive, what's happening? Is there music playing? Is the dining room buzzing, you know, is the menu clear? Has the server come touch the table? Are the glasses filled? Like just all these things that come into play before they even get their food. You know, like is their food okay? Has their food come out on time? Did the server explain their food to them? And then they eat and they have a great time. And I also learned throughout my that sometimes signing out triggers negative emotion, which you don't think happens. But if a person has a bad day and they come to your restaurant, something in that restaurant can also trigger them to have a bad experience. So that person, for example, can hate 
lamb chops because their grandmother, when they were growing up, was mean to them, and she made hot lamb chops. And because she was mean, the lamb chops in your restaurant triggers them because they also had a bad day. So it's just like this this line that flows through to the customer that you really have to pay attention to. And it's what I learned to pay attention to, which is why I started the news group. And then that last step is the thoughts your customer has after they leave your restaurant and they're about to write that review online, which could take anywhere from a day to three days. So in the three days that they've left you, they should still be thinking about you in a great way. But it's like, it's a whole ebb and flow of things that happen. It's just not update the food. I hope everybody's taking notes. Because <laughs> um, while we may not be in school right now, Lots of nuggets to learn, especially, you know, especially because people are co- either coming into this space for the first time, they are developing like new products to sell or, oh, I, you know, they're not in a restaurant anymore. And so they're developing. I mean, I've seen it pop off quite a bit, like people are developing spice lines and, you know, they're, they're going from. Uh, in-house or in, uh, in-room dining or in-house dining to take out or take out to um, retail or, you know, they're doing e-commerce. It's like, there's just a lot of new spaces people are trying to get into to A, generate income. Because like you said, we are now forced to really go outside of the box we built much to our, um, um, much to our own chagrin at this point. It's like, oh man, I thought I'd be able to just go into this restaurant every day for the, you know, until I retired and that was going to be the end of it. And it's just like, but you know, for us to be forced into a space of like creativity and, and pivot is like, I think essential for it, all industries at this point. Um, because we were, I think most industries were becoming stale. And so it's like, you know, when the food industry shifts, that means that food writing shifts and that means food media shifts. And so, all of those things get affected by it. So I think it's just, it's essential too. There's a major trickle down effect, which is currently happening live right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know much to some people's dismay, Um, but it also revitalizes the industry. It's like you come out on the other side and like you said, you know, we have more than one stream of income. We have, you know, our business model becomes better. It, it, It gets healthier. Now restaurants aren't necessarily existing on a single margin from one single service or single offering. It can do a lot of different things. You know, that building doesn't necessarily have to be closed twice a week. Now it can, it can be turned into something else um so yeah we're just getting some really great opportunities at this point and i hope everybody is taking advantage i do too i I mean i love seeing restaurants put their merch on their menu like i yell about this all the time on twitter like put your merch on your menu under Mm -hmm. the cocktails or under um the drink list or whatnot, like put your merch on your menu, (laughs) put your cookbook merch on the menu, like just always try to get that extra, you know, that extra check average. 
Yeah, yeah. Like upsells are upsells are incredible. Like it's yeah. you know when, like you know if you've ever for those of us who have ever worked in retail, you know during like college or in between jobs or as a side hustle or a part time job during the holidays, we all know like the upsell is key. Adding the extras is key, and most people will pay you no mind about them extras if the whole experience was trash. So, and <laughs> also. Like your food could be amazing, your product can be amazing, but that rude server will make me never go back. Like your food could be perfectly cooked, your wine could be perfect, your dessert could be perfect, and then it's that rude server or that manager that is overwhelmed and can't really give you a full, I like to call it romance, like romance me when I'm out come to my table and talk to me like this romance me but if you don't have any romance <laughs> that great plate of food is not going to keep the customer coming back I, it's it, it precisely i don't like I don't think people just it's a it's relational like all of this so much of this is relational and it's like you're building this relationship with a person even if it's just for the one time and it's just like that relationship um, I mean, all of it, you, it's, you make or break it on the exchange at that point. And so like, you just have got to be paying attention and not just to you. I'm like, yes, outside of the money and the, the bottom line, it's just like those people, no one ever gets on Yelp and writes about the time they had a great deal, a great meal. They get on Yelp and they talk about you because you was trash, because you were garbage, because this yep. was terrible. Because I'm And then at the end, they're like, <laughs> oh, the chicken was really good. <laughs> like, I had to read through this entire paragraph about how bad something was, and then the chicken was great. So, <laughs> I just—I mean, now to the to that point about the about what we need to do and about like, I, I love the fact that you kind of gave people a list to start with. And, uh, and while I do believe that anyone who wants to like really get serious about like a pivot in their restaurant or in their food business, they need to just go ahead and call, make an appointment, pay you, <laughs> you know, like y'all stop, like cough up the coins, all of exactly. them. Don't be asking for no discounted coinage either. Um, <laughs> But if you could offer, you know, that one lone person out there who is just like, I have no, I'm like terrified of what I need to do now. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And they might not necessarily be in New York, but they are definitely experiencing like the pains of like COVID and like they know that they still have like an idea in them. What is one, what is the one thing that you want them to like walk away and just start today? Like go, go home, go to your computer and whatever it is. Like, this is the one, this is one thing you can start doing today that can help you start to just think about what to do next. I want them to go out to eat. Um, And I say that because when you're in it and by it, I mean, when you're in your mess, you don't, look outside of your mess. So I would say to them, go out to eat. Go to that restaurant down the block that's always full, well, prior. But go to a restaurant that makes you uncomfortable. And just sit there and just look around and observe at what's happening. Once you start to release the 
heaviness of what you're thinking, you can start to look around and say, like, I really like how they handled my takeout, you know, or I really like how they took the extra step to get me an extra sauce on the side or just anything. It could be something so minuscule, but I would encourage them to just put down their stuff and go eat at another restaurant and just watch that that happen. And then you will come back to yours and be like, you know what? I'm going to change this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to try this differently. So go do something else. Go eat somewhere else. Go drink something else. Go look at a restaurant website that's not yours. And just mm. really seeing what's happening outside of your own network. So now I have to know <laughs> <laughs> your favorite, like what's been, and I, cause I have two eating, I have two dining experiences that will live with me forever. I am sure. Um, so, and I was hoping why I, I, even if I tried to narrow down like other really good ones, there's two at the top of my list that has not, that have not changed in probably 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you in the last in the last five years, like what has been your best dining experience? Like 360 meal, the f- like the food, the service, all of it. Yikes. Um, <laughs> can I, can I just say three quick ones? Look, you should go for it. <laughs> um, I always, if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I rave about SPK. I, I like I stand by SPK um, solely because they are consistently consistent. And when I say that, every time I go to SPK, I never have a bad experience. And that's even from the time I get an email from them about something to the time I leave. So it's like they're always up to date with like the food holidays or they provide like a really full happy hour or they have like a fun party um i went to sdk one time for brunch they had never done brunch prior and they just so happened to do brunch on mother's day now why somebody would take the chance to do their first brunch on mother's day is beyond me but they knocked it off the park that one time and i'm just always fascinated at how they keep getting better and i've been going to since they came to New York so I always like rave about how great they are and just the constant change but they're always mm-hmm. consistent um, and I'm going to pause you real quick because I want to mm-hmm. make a real quick point about consistency because it's I don't ch- get to chat about like just like food, food business and restaurant very much because we are definitely talking about a lot of other like culturally reverent, relevant things in food. But to this point about consistency, because it's something I used to harp on um, when I was like managing a kitchen and when I would have uh, people ask me about, you know, like, well, wh- what are we getting wrong in service or something? something I was just like y'all the one thing that will irk just about anyone is a lack of consistency it's I I shouldn't know that your executive chef is not in the building that day I you know like I shouldn't know there's a change in service I shouldn't know that you guys had to change the menu at the last minute I shouldn't detect any of that 
when it comes time for service. And it's, you know, for me, it's just like, I don't want to come to your place one week, love absolutely everything I had, and then come back the following week, order it again, because I'm so amped. And now I've invited three friends to come share it with me. And all of a sudden, it's not the same. And I and I know precisely why it's not the same. And I can tell my friends why it's not the same, but they don't know. They just know that the, I, you know, Tiffany ran, she ran, <laughs> raved about this particular meal or this particular dish brought us all out here to try it and we just trust her judgment and then we had it and it was okay it was just like nothing will make me more irate than the last which brings me to the next restaurant it is like I've been eating at Pio Pio here in New York City for like as old as I am, that's how long I've been eating at this restaurant. It is a very simple chicken rice, Peruvian restaurant. And when I tell you every time I go, it is consistent. Like, I don't even think they've ever had a bad day. And if they have had a bad day, I don't know the day each time I'm there. Like, it's consistent servers, consistent food consistent drinks and which is why I love it so much because I've never had a bad experience there so consistently consistent is a thing that I like bring to the top of my lungs like there's so many restaurants out here but a restaurant that is consistently consistent will always have customers and then my third place that's a toss up but it is but it is a Black-owned restaurant in Harlem. It's called Binataria. It's on 119th and 8th Avenue. It's owned by this really fabulous Black woman. Um, again, every time I go there, the food is consistent. They have this really great wedding pasta that I love, like right in the heart of Harlem. And the wine is always good. They always have the best creme brulee. Like every time I go there, it's wedding pasta, Friend brulee, no matter what's happening. Like, those are things that's going to be on my table, no matter what. So, consistently consistent. I can't stop saying it enough. Oh, man. I, has there been anything that you've had in the last, like, six six, seven months that surprised you? Like as far as like someone who's killing it in the takeout or delivery space where you were just like, uh, you know what? I did not see this coming from them, but okay, nailed it. So, or anything you've eaten that's been new that has just been like really just impressive and has um, left an impression on you? Um, that is a really hard one, but I will say that Takeout wise, I love how Sweet Green has really transformed their business throughout this whole time. Like, I'm a food nerd, so I sign up to the newsletters, like, I read them each time they come in. And I just love how Sweet Greens went from like really like hearty, you know, salads and all that stuff. But then Corona happened and they like transformed on a like a quick pivot to really great takeout salads and then they have like whole meals you can take out which from what I read was planned for five years from now and they transformed in a month so I've been really paying attention to how Sweet Green has transformed throughout the whole time and I'm really impressed with it 
I feel like some people definitely, when they stepped into like the takeout delivery space, I think they they're doing better than they think they were going to. And it might be like one of those things where people have to maybe step back and go, well, maybe like dining, like having a dining room might not be our biggest strength. I think this is just one of the opportunities to kind of look at how we've been feeding people and maybe think and, and consider like, well, maybe the dining, the, the dining room experience isn't the way we shine, that maybe that's not the best way for us to serve, you know, serve our customers. And um, so I would definitely encourage people like, look, if you find a place that you've been eating out and all of a sudden magically that during this, during this time, their takeout and delivery is infinitely better than their dine-in service, go ahead and drop them a note. Let them know. And, Love y'all. <laughs> yeah, and I do think, like I said, when you sit down and you write a menu, you don't write it to go. You write it and you create it to be ate at a table within a certain time span. So now with people working from home, I think that takeout menu is going to be restructured. I think we're going to see really great chefs make some really dope takeout food in the next two years. I'm excited to see what the new takeout format looks like. You're right, because I'm just like, y'all, I mean, I think, you know, while the challenge is definitely different, I don't think it's going to be anything outside of anyone's abilities at this point. It's just like, no, it's, not at all. No. So yeah, now, now that have you have to stop and think about it for a second. Exactly. And like, so now that you've mentioned the next two years, I suspect mm-hmm. you are one of these people who can like look into the next few years and really detect food trends and things that are coming. Um, so <laughs> outside of not being able to predict when people will just wear a freaking mask so we can all get out the house again. Um, when we are able to go back out and have like tactical eating experiences, what do you, what are your predictions for what's like coming down the road and what people should be really like paying attention to? Um, my number one prediction, and I believe I tweeted this on Twitter in a rapid fire tweet. Um, I told y'all to follow her on Twitter. Now. Like the Twitter game is on point. Yes. Uh, yes. On Twitter. Um, I really do see that electronics at the table will be happening more and more. I really do think that when we sit down, there will be no more menus. It'll all be on a screen and you just select what you want from the screen. I do think there will be a server still, but I don't think you will have paper menus. It'll all be electronic. I think you will pay electronically in the next two years. Um, like I said, more takeout. I believe more people will, of course, still want to come out to eat. Um, but I do see family-style, top-of-style platters coming back to the table. Um, I don't see those really like fine luxury 10 course tasting menus coming back anytime soon. I do think that there will be a spin on tasting menus but it'll be more comfortable family style tasting menus coming back in the next few days. I like this. I think I like this. I think, I, I mean, I'm hoping for trends towards like 
more like family style dining and things that are a bit more interactive for your like passing plates and stuff like that. I definitely see um, that less of a less of the kind of like clumsy looking at the menu kind of scenario and like even the menu, uh, the menu moment being a bit more engaging. Um, and I definitely see like really train because you don't see me having a conversation right now. Uh, I was like, they're lucky I can edit things out because I'd be sending a strong note to MTA. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and then the idea of like the, our definite redefining what service really looks like. I think because we've had to, because restaurants have had to pivot into takeout and to delivery and like pickup, the interactions with diners will look really different because that idea of like people just kind of sitting at a table and the servers kind of being kind of playing to the background. I don't think we'll lose all of it, but I think there's going to be a bit um, like more authentic engagement between servers and like to your point about treating staff better like all of these ideas that have popped up about how to incorporate your staff in a much more meaningful way like you know when a a server or a bartender or a line cook you know creates a dish for the menu that their names are in are on the menu and that they're credited with that creation and just like creating a restaurant culture that's more shared the way food culture is I, I I'm looking forward to seeing who picks that up and who runs with it because I find like they will probably be out in front as far as where people want to go to eat because this experience about oh wait a minute you mean like the guy who was like bussing our table earlier (laughs) is the guy who came up with today's soup that's on the special it's just like yep that's him so like I love this idea of making this making restaurants a more of a collaborative and like uh, a collective effort to get food on the table in front of a diner. And I think diners will appreciate that one as well. Yeah. And I do think just from what we've seen in the past couple months is like the explosion of food media and the explosion of the treatment of staff members. I really do think moving forward, like no one can afford to be caught out there right now. Like no one can afford, like everybody has to dot their I's and cross their feet. So moving forward, I do think there will be a change in how restaurants treat their staff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm excited to see it, you know, coming up in the kitchens, I specifically chose not to work for chefs who would yell and curse and throw pots and pans at me. Like, I just knew that wasn't my thing. Um, I'm like, if my parents don't treat me this way, why would I allow you to treat me that way, you know? So I always seek chefs who, I mean, all chefs yell. I yelled at someone three days ago in the the restaurant. All chefs yell. But it's how it's done. It's the verbiage that's used. And I do think that will be different this time around cannot afford to lose any more than they already have. Absolutely not. And 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 if they want healthy and if we want a healthy restaurant industry, we want one that like really flourishes, you gotta have a buy-in from everybody who works for it. And you know, the fact that for a long time, like servers were treated as disposable, dishwashers were treated as disposable. Oh, I can just replace you. And it was just like 
but that energy goes out everywhere. Like it sits in, it sits in your food. It sits in your dining room. It's just like, because it eventually your diners know that they're disposable. Yeah. I mean, when a chef tells you that they don't replace you the next day, I was always that line cook that was like, okay. There you go. Okay, let me know if you want me to stay for the rest of my shift or not. Like, like for real. (laughs) We don't have to continue on. Right. And I know everybody's not like that. Everybody, every coach, every line cook is not like that. But I really want us to get out of that space moving forward. Yeah. Like the old school way worked at one point and then it didn't work at one point but i think there's always a better way and i feel like the old school way probably worked for one guy at one point at one restaurant for about four or five weeks and then somebody was like you know what i like what he's doing here i'm gonna just keep doing it and it was just like at no point did we go you know what that shit's crazy how about we don't do that um so <laughs> these last these last few minutes i got three questions for you one how is that Fenty skincare situation working out? I just got mine today. <laughs> just I need, I need the I need the tea and I need the facts and I need the honest so, the honest truth. See, this is the part of the food and lifestyle brand. So this is the lifestyle portion of it. Exactly. Um, so I I just started it today. Okay. Um, I really I did like the texture of the product so far. Right. I am curious to see what it does on black skin. Okay. Um. So, all right. I mean, she said she said it for everybody. We'll see. And what you know what's funny about <laughs> your point about like lifestyle and food. There's things that I wish people would understand. Like being a cook in a restaurant. One thing specifically, and I don't know if it's just me or if I'm sure other like people have felt it is that I always I was always on a hunt for great skincare because working in a restaurant leaves your skin looking like garbage if you're not mindful but you also need a routine that's quick because if you don't leave the restaurant till 3 Mm a.m and your ass got to be back there at 10 o'clock you're trying to get as much sleep as possible so like your skincare routine has to be like effective and thorough but it also has to be quick and so i like you literally just want to wash the grease off your face from the end of the night that's (laughs) you want to wash the garlic off of you you want to wash (laughs) the onions off of you you want to wash the fryer oil off of you so, yeah, so, and, and, so for me, I tell people, I'm like working in uh, working in food doesn't separate you from things. It really puts you in the thick of it. And like I've always had uh, an obsession with like fashion. And so I always found yeah. that food and fashion were quite parallel. They're like two of the only businesses in the world that are extremely seasonal that really work on textures and colors and, 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 you know, feeding the eyes first. Um, and you know, and they can, and it can cover a lot of things. Like they're both essential for life. Like you need something to cover your ass and you need something in your belly every day. And those can, and the range of what you spend and, and the level of luxury and, and, you know, like things like, uh, sourcing product and all of those conversations happen in both worlds. So I always found fashion and food to kind of have these amazing parallels. Absolutely. So I and it's and, funny when I started my food blog. Um, even when I was coming up with the name for a blog, I'm like, okay, I eat out all the time, I dine out all the time, and then people always compliment me on high look. Or, or my style, or my style of dress, or my glasses. I'm like eating fabulously. Like 
eating. And then I was obsessed with Kimora Lee Simmons at that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, fabulosity, like Kimora never looked crazy. So I'm like, okay, eating fabulously is going to be the name of my blog. And a part of that is like knowing where your food comes from, knowing what's in your skincare, like knowing just all about being fabulous. So that's from, again, where does your meat come from all the way down to is your polish on your nails hurting you mm-hmm. all the way down to like like we said what's in your skincare yeah. what are your favorite companies helping or are hurting like that's the whole thing where I stand by like you have to seriously all at all times yeah, absolutely and yeah. like eating makes you really conscious of all the other things that you put in and on the body including mm-hmm. and uh, up to and including people. So like, yeah. look, <laughs> look, yeah, when you eat, when you eat horribly, you feel it. Yeah. Every time. But then when you, when you eat fabulously, like when you eat fresh food, you eat at a really great restaurant or you look really fabulous. It's true. It's true. Now, my other question, uh, the other question is, or second one is, um, there mm-hmm. is a tweet that I was hoping to get a bit more understanding about. Um, okay. It was from yesterday, right before the one about the crab legs. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the, the crab leg one I understood, because like that one just gets in your spirit. And you'd be like, really? But like, why would you even do that? But the tweet was, was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, something around like, do y'all like to eat out because you don't look like you do or act like you do? Oh, God. Okay. So, again, can I just go to my Twitter for a second, yes. please? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find it. Oh, here it is. Here it is. It says, do y'all actually enjoy eating and dining? Because a lot of y'all seem like you don't. <laughs> like, so, first of all, follow me on Twitter. At, <laughs> I'm telling y'all, at follow her on Twitter to get your life. Yeah. Please come join me on Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, so... I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. So you're in a safe place. Anytime I meet people who are in food or interested in food or come to me about food or want to pick my brain about being a chef or anything, I always tell them, do you like food or do you like to eat or are you eating to be full there's eating for pleasure and there's eating to be full a lot of people naturally only know how to eat to be full and if you're eating for pleasure that's a whole nother thing but you know this industry is so tough and it's so tiring and there's always that debate where do I go to culinary school do I work my way up do I do this do I do that I personally always recommend if you can go to culinary school, go to culinary school. It kind of starts you off at a certain point. A lot of people don't naturally have the drive and the longevity to start as a dishwasher and work their way up. So if you can, I always recommend it. But the way things are going right now in food, it's oversaturated, which a lot of things are. And it's just always like the same thing over and over again. It's crab like this, it's salmon this, it's 
guys hard to do this. I'm just like, do you guys really like the art of eating? Point blank. Do you like to eat or or or, or, or do y'all just eat everything? Because and like I tweeted it tweeted yesterday. Once you get to a certain point in your career of your line cook, of your cook, of your chef, none of these fried crab legs ever make it to you because you've already blocked that out. Right. You know what things are. You know how things are prepared. You know. So that's why I'm always like, these things should not frustrate y'all anymore. But if you haven't, if, if you haven't gone through those ranks, in my personal opinion, these things are still going to frustrate you. So do you like to eat or do you not like to eat? Like, what is it? If you like to eat, these fried crab legs on Twitter should not be frustrating you the way they are. This is true. No. This is true. <laughs> You're right. But I mean, I'm so glad you answered it that way. I would have taken any answer, trust. But it is some, It is a question I constantly ask people as well. And not necessarily people who want to get into food for a professional vocation, just people in general when I have to eat out with them, which is why I rarely do that. I do eat alone outside of my house very frequently because mm-hmm. eating with other mm-hmm. people is just taxing. And so, you know, because when people are like, oh, Tiff, we want to go eat with you. I'm like, well, I have a couple of questions in order. And if you can clear these questions, then you can come <laughs> eat with me. But if you cannot, like, I, you know, yeah. and it's always that question. It's like, okay, so do you like, do you eat for the caloric intake or do you eat for, you eat for pleasure? Yeah, my friends already know what type of time I'm on. <laughs> my friends already know. Do not take Chris certain places. Do not give Chris certain things because she's going to tear them up. Oh. And yes. <laughs> and I'm not one of those people who go in restaurants and critique everything. Like, I love BBQ just as much as I love John George. Yeah. Like, when when it's not my job, I take my chef's coat off and I relax. That's me. But I say this all the time: like food is social, it's political, it's it's financial. Like all these things come into play about food, and a lot of our upbringing also comes into play with that as well. Mm. So if you if you were you know, like, if you were that kid who has to finish all the food on your plate because your mom couldn't afford to throw anything away, that changes your palate as you get older. Absolutely. So that reflects on the type of food you eat or the type of food that you eat when you have money versus, you know, a person who had a really, quote unquote, wealthier background they were exposed to different types of foods which also affects you later in life so i always try to pay attention to that as well when i'm out so yeah people swear they won't want to come out and eat with me and i'm like all right if you pass out it's not my problem i told you I told you we eat fabulously over here all the time. I'm just I can't help you after that. Like I'm not going. I'm not going pre-screen meals for you. No, don't call me and ask me what's on the menu and what you should eat. You should do nope. your research. Don't nope. do this. Don't make this work for me. Nope. Like I'm not going to labor. Don't even. Don't even do your research. Just trust me and know that we eat fabulously all the time. And I'm not going to have y'all here. Like if you really need more information, I'm going to give you the name of the restaurant and then you can do what you got to do with that information. This is what Google. Google is for, but you don't need to come. Don't don't make this don't make this a labor for me to take you someplace. 
will never do it again. I promise you. Uh, so the uh, last question is where can we, of course, where can we find you on socials outside of Twitter? Cause I'm not playing with y'all. If y'all don't follow her on Twitter, I can't help you past this point. Like I've done all I can to help your life get better. And, and at this point, if you don't follow her on Twitter, you just neglecting your own priorities. So outside of Twitter, <laughs> um, where else can we follow you? Where else can we, how else can we support your work? And, um, and then what, do, what are your future plans for like the Mies group so that we can be paying attention? Um, well, first and foremost, again, I would love for you guys to follow me on Twitter. That's at eating fab. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at, e- at eating fabulously, the full word spelled out. My food and lifestyle website is www.eatingfabulously.com. And you can also find me at themeesgroup.com. Um, the Mies Group, you know, when this whole coronavirus pandemic started, like I said, I got laid off and I quietly just said, God, make it so that I don't have to go back to work if I absolutely don't have to. Like, let this be my time to like, really show up and show out for the Mies Group. And he has done that. So, Next two years, I want the music to be my full time business. I want restaurant clients. I want independent chefs. Um, I'm actually thinking about how I can put together like an influencer package, just like a jump start influencer um, package at the music as well. Um, eating fabulously, I want to turn into a full fledged lifestyle brand. So I've actually been researching my own flatware, glassware, and plates. Um, so it'll be plates, glassware, forks, and knives. It'll be um, merch. I have my own online merch store as well that you can find when you head to the website. So just like build a umbrella company around restaurant, food, and lifestyle. All right. Well, I love it. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you um, for having me. Thank you for seeing my tweet about putting me on something. <laughs> and then it was like, you could come on my book, man. Absolutely. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you to our guests for spending some time with us. And thank you for listening in and for being a part of the Flyest Click in podcasting. If you love these conversations, be sure to download, subscribe, comment, and share. You can get further connected with the Afros and Knives community by following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to visit our website, afrosandknives.com, and sign up for our newsletter. Afros and Knives does this work only with the financial support of our Patreon community. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives and pledge your monthly support. We are working on expanding into video as well as offering patron-only content this year, and you don't want to miss out. Until next week, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be at peace.